0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Galatians and chapter 4. Galatians is a specific letter written by the Apostle Paul to the churches that were in the area of Galatia. Galatia was a part of the world, so Galatians is a letter written to the churches that were in that area. If the Apostle Paul were writing you or me letters today, to the churches in Southern California, okay? And so he's writing a letter to Galatians, and that's why it's called Galatians, because it's to the churches in that region of the world. You're going to look for big number four. That's called the chapter. All right. So big number four, chapter four. We're going to read verse number one down to verse number seven. So big number four. Look for little number one down to little number seven. And if you've found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? Galatians chapter four, verse number one down to verse seven. Now I say that the heir... As long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. So even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son than an heir of God through Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for Your Word. And Father, we ask that You would use this passage of Scripture to speak to our hearts, to give us what we stand in need of, Father, and to help us as we move forward into this life for You. We ask all these things according to the name of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by His name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. When Elena, our daughter, when she was little, she would walk up to Amanda, or I, and she would hold her hands up in the air, and she would say, I hold you. I hold you. Me, being a literal, literalist, would then look at her and go, wow, you're going to hold me, are you? she go, I hold you. I hold you. So I would take my hands and I'd place them on her back or on her shoulders and I would apply just a little bit of weight and she would start to do this and she'd go, No! No! You hold me! You hold me! So I'd pick Elena up and I'd hug her and squeeze her and kiss her neck, you know. And this this always played out about 40 times throughout the day. I hold you! Oh, you're going to hold me, are you? And I'd lean on her a little bit. No! You hold me! Right? And I'd pick her up. I'd set her down. I hold you, right? We do this over and over again. The other day, we're in the kitchen, and I was telling her, I was rehearsing that story to her. I said, you used to walk up to a man and I, and you say, I hold you. She goes, Dad, I could hold you right now. I said, Elena, I think you, you overvalue your own strength, and you undermine mine, right? She goes, I could do it. Jump on my back, you know? So I said, "Okay." I jumped on her back, both her and I, right to the kitchen floor, right? it's a wonderful illustration of how we understand our relationship with God. How we understand our relationship with God. Where are we putting our weight? Where are we putting our trust? What's happening in the book of Galatians is there's a group of people who've come into the church at Galatia and they've said this, that the way you end up with a relationship with God the way you end up safe in the arms of God, the way you end up with your sins forgiven is by doing good works, by being religious, by having morality and civility, by helping your neighbor, by going to church. And that if you do all these things long enough, then you can end up holding up God. And you can look at God and you can say, I hold you up, and you can think yourself strong, even though you're actually weak. And this is played out several ways in the, in the book of Galatians. It's been specifically by, 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 the, by the explanation of circumcision, that there are those who came and said, you must follow the law. You must be like the Jews. You must obey the 600 plus commandments of Moses, and that if you do all these things, and you have faith in God, then God will accept you. And how that works out in our day and age is people say, well, if you go to church, and if you're religious, and if you're moral, and if you're civil, and if you get baptized, and if you give offerings and if you do all these things then in the end you can hold God up. And Paul is writing the letter to Galatians and he's writing the letter to you and to me and he's saying this that's wrong. That's wrong. That in the end we do not hold God up God holds us up. That by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ you can be saved he said it in different places like this believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved that it's our faith and trust In the Lord Jesus Christ, in what Christ did for us when He was born of a virgin, He lived a perfect sinless life, He died an atoning death on the cross, but then He raised gloriously from the grave that our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ is what gives us a good standing with God. This is what we've already talked about, but this has been called justification. Justification is we, by faith and trust in in the Lord Jesus Christ, can be made right in the sight of God. So that God looks at you, and God looks at me, He sees our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He appropriates the life of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. It's not our good works, it's not our religiousness, it's not our performance, it's not our morality or our civility, it's not our baptism that saves us, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us. And Paul is writing that letter to the church and he's saying this. And then he says, it's not just that we are right with the judge of the universe, It's one thing for the judge of the world to look at you and take his gavel and slam it on his desk and declare you innocent even though you are guilty. And this is a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful gift. But God did not just declare us innocent, but that God, through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, has actually declared us innocent, and what we talked about last week, and He has adopted us into His family. That we are His sons, He says. That's what He's saying here. Look at verse number 4 again. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, that's Jesus Christ, made of a woman. Man, he was 100% God. He was 100% man. Made under the law, he was 100% righteous in that Jesus did not do one thing wrong. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Why did he do that? Verse number five, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. When we've talked about this, that God sent Jesus into the world, not only to forgive us of our sins and to make us justified in his eyes, but God sent Jesus into the world to make it possible for you and for me to come into his family. He adopted us into his family by sending his son to die on the cross for us. What that teaches us is we played no part in this. That you and I did nothing in order to have our sins forgiven and in order to be a part of God's family. But that's not all that happened. That's not all that happened. This just keeps getting better or better. Or like the old southern preacher said, it gets gooder and gooder the more I read it, right? Look at verse number 6. Here's the gooder part, okay? Look at verse number 6. And because ye are sons... God hath sent forth his Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So what he's saying is, our faith is... In the Lord Jesus Christ has not only made us right in the eyes of the judge of the world, but it's also made us adopted into the family of God so that we are the children of God. But also, number three, He gives us the privileges of the Son. The privileges of a Son. So that now, because we belong to Him, we are an heir with Christ in God. So so three privileges then of the Son... Three privileges of a son that I want you to see. And you have some notes so you can follow along with us because I want you to write some of this down. Because we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning and I want you to remember and be able to look back and see what we were talking about. Look at number one with me. There is a new intimacy with God. Look at verse number six again. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a personal it's a, it's, a, it's a term of personal relationship, it's a term of strong confidence, and it's a term of strong affection, that we are crying, Abba, Father, that there is a confidence that we have that we are secure in our relationship with our Father, that we are confident in our relationship, we are secure in our relationship. Now, those of you in the room that have kids, you'll understand this, this illustration, how kids, they, they, are, they are bold in their relationship with mom and dad, in that they do not care to interrupt you anytime you're doing anything. You're going to be standing in the middle of a conversation at church, and here comes the little kid, mommy, 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 and you go, what? And they're like, I was in class. I know you were. I dropped you off there. I know where you were, right? But man, this kid has so much confidence to just interrupt the conversation. Why? Man, because they are strong in their relationship with mom and dad. I've told my kids this before. Man, they have an open-door policy in my office. They come first in my heart and my life. Man, sometimes I'll be in a meeting and I'll see one of my kids peeking through the window about the bar of gin and they're doing this. I'm going, no, we're, we're talking. We're in a counseling session. No. I'm, I'm sorry. Can, I open the door and i say, Elena, what do you want? she said, I just need a bottle of water. <laughs> that's it. It's all you want is a bottle of water. Why are kids so bold? Why are they so brave? Why are they so confident? Because they have a strong relationship with their father, with their mother. And that's the idea of this word here. And wherefore, the Spirit of God in our hearts causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, that we have a strong relationship with God. Notice how the verse begins. Look at verse number 6. And because ye are sons. So there's three things on this. Number one, there's an accessibility to God. There's an accessibility to God. That because you and I had sinned, we were separated from God. The Bible teaches us that for the wages of sin is death, that God is a holy, righteous, good, perfect God, and you and I are sinful men. The best person in this room is a sinner at best. That's you, and that's also me. And because of our sin, we cannot go near a holy and righteous God. Because God is holy, God is righteous, and we are not, we cannot go near God because of our sin. So what happened? John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life that God saw us in our sin and he sent his son to die on the cross for us and that when he did this, he made us justified in his eyes, but he also made us adopted into his family and he made it possible for us to go to him. This This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, if you want to get to God, then you must find a way in which you can build a bridge across your sin and across your imperfections and across your weaknesses and across your errors. You must find a way in order to get across this bridge and get to God. So every other religion in the world says, be good, do right things, be a good neighbor, give your money to the poor. Be religious. Do all of these things and what you do is if you do enough of them then in the end you might. I mean maybe you will have a relationship with God. And the message of Christianity says the exact opposite of that. The message of Christianity says there is nothing that you can do that can, that can scale the gap between you and God. So God did it all in that God sent His Son to die on the cross for you and for me He made it possible for us to get to Him. He gave us accessibility to God. God made it possible for you and for me to have a relationship with Him. And the way He did that was not through religion. The way He did that was not through civility. The way He did that was not through morality. The way He did that was through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the question for you I have then this morning. How are you relating to God? You see, you are either relating to God through your strength. You're relating to God through your morality, through your good works. You're either relating to God through your strength, or you're believing the message of Christianity which says, there is none righteous, no, not one. God did not send His Son to die for the righteous, but God sent His Son to die for those who were lost in their sin. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. God made it possible for you and for me to get to Him. So believe then today. So this what he says, verse number six, look at it again with me, and because ye are sons, so there's this accessibility to God, because ye are sons, look at the next phrase, God hath sent forth his spirit into your hearts. So there's this availability with God. God made it possible for us to get to Him, but not only is it possible for us to, uh, to for, for God to be accessible through His Son, but also God is available in that He sent His Spirit into your hearts. You see, there are some who say, okay, well, believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's important. And you need to do that. You need to have faith. But if you really want to be a child of God, you need this extra dose of the Spirit, this second blessing later on in life. And if you get saved, that's one thing, but you got to wait for the Spirit to come. And the Spirit comes when you're good enough, or religious enough, or work enough, or charismatic enough. That's when the Spirit comes. That is not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, He sent His Spirit into your heart at the same time so that you are justified. The Spirit of God applied on the inside what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the outside. So you understand the confidence that this gives us? That if God is our Heavenly Father and if He has sent His Spirit into our hearts and He sent the Son into the world, then we are safe with God. We are safe with God. Why? Because God is sovereign over all God made Himself accessible in that He loved us, made it possible for us to come with, come to Him, but also God knows us individually, specifically because He sent His Spirit into your heart when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever your need is, whatever your problem is, whatever your difficulty is, whatever your burden is, whatever your sorrow is, you this morning can bring that to the Lord. We can cast all our care on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. Paul talks about this later and he says this, if God is for us, well then who can be against us? So how do we know God is for us? Because God sent His Son to die on the cross for us. Because God sent His Spirit to live in our hearts. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you think I'm nervous about making rent? Do you know who my Father is? He's the God of the universe. you think I'm stressing out about whatever problems I have at work? Do you know who my Father is? It's the God of the universe. Right, so that builds this confidence then in the heart of the believer in that the believer can run to God. The believer can go to God. God has made Himself available in that He sent His Spirit to reside in our hearts. God is not ignorant of your pain. God is not indifferent to your hurt. God is not ignoring your sorrow. God is aware of your individual specific need in that, how so? In that He sent His Son to die on the cross in the world, but that He sent His Spirit to reside in your heart. God is your Father, and like a good Father, He never abandons his children. God has not abandoned you this morning. You may have lost friends and family and a job, but you have not lost a relationship with God. So there's this accessibility to God. There's this availability with God. Number three on this first idea of the intimacy, there's this assurance from God. So this is verse number six. Look at the next phrase. God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's a term of affection. It's a, it's a term that the Spirit is crying out in or from your heart to God the Father. That, listen, there is, for the Christian, a certain measure of assurance that there's a certain measure of assurance. They're assured of their standing, their position with God. Assurance is what no other religion can provide to you. Because you never know if you're good enough. You never know if you're strong enough. You never know if you're loved enough. You never know if you're safe enough. But the Spirit of God resides in the heart of the believer, man, that provides assurance to the believer. Our son Jesse, when he was little, he detested the church nursery. I was the pastor, and the pastor's kid did not want to go to the nursery. Or take him to the nursery. I'd I'd hand him to the nursery worker, and Jesse would go kicking and screaming, No! Like it's going to be okay. No! They have cookies. No! They have toys. No! Just go, right? He didn't want to go. And anytime he would get scared, he would just grab Amanda's neck or grab my neck, and he'd always go, Mommy, no! Daddy, no! And he would squeeze, I mean, like choke the life out of you, just squeezing your neck. No! And Anytime you get scared, he's looking at what scares him, but he's clinging to his mom or to his dad. That's the same idea that Paul is talking about here. The Spirit of God in our hearts cries out, Abba, Father, so that there are things in our life that trouble us, yes. And there are things in our life that are difficult, yes. Are there struggles for the believer like there's struggles for unbelievers, yes. It on the just and the unjust. Are there difficult times for the believer just like there is for unbelievers? Yes. Do believers get cancer just like unbelievers get cancer? Yes. But when the believer goes through that, there's an assurance in the believer's heart that while he looks at something that's difficult or scary or terror, he can squeeze around the heart and the neck of God and he can go, God, you're with me. God, I'm safe. And I know you love me. There's a a certain measure of assurance. That when you get the news that you could never have imagined, when you get the diagnosis that you dreaded, when you face a circumstance that you could have only ever thought of in your wildest nightmare, what do you do? Where do you turn? Where do you go? The message of Christianity is for the believer. They're confident that God is strong enough to hold us up, even in spite of those situations. And the and the false religion says, "You better work harder. You better do more. You never really know. You never you're never really sure." Look, at bad stuff's happening. God must be mad at you. Look, you got a diagnosis you didn't like. You must have done something wrong. You bad, bad person. I mean, you just never really know. The message of Christianity is I'm safe in the arms of God my Father because God sent His Son to die on the cross for my sin and God sent His Spirit to reside in my heart and if God is for me, who can be against me? That's the idea. There's a certain measure of assurance that the believer has. When you realize that you have a Father who is walking with you, cares for you, holds your hand everywhere you go. The Spirit of God, listen, the Spirit of God residing where? In your heart. In your heart. When we see circumstances, where do we get discouraged? We get discouraged in our hearts. When we go through bad times, Where does it hurt us? It it hurts us in our hearts. Paul said the same thing. You have this confidence in God because of the Spirit of God residing in your hearts. There's a new intimacy with God. Number two, there's a new identity before God. So so, so look what he says, verse number 7. So wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. You have a new identity. Where does this identity come from? Where is this identity found? Where does this identity come from and where is this identity found? This is a big big issue in our day. Everyone wanting to know who they're supposed to be. Everyone trying to identify with who they think they are. Trying to find somebody like me. Well, Paul says this is who you are. You are no more a servant, but you are a son. You say, well, what is the identity then that God has given to me? God has given you as a believer, God has given me as a believer an identity in that we are no, more, no longer servants, but that we are his son or his daughter. We're his children. That's the image. Look back at chapter 3. Just Maybe it's a page over for you, but look where the identity comes from. Look at verse 26 of chapter 3. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, verse number 27. So this new identity comes in what? In, in this image that Paul gives us, that, that we've been baptized into Christ. Now listen, when you see the word baptism, don't think baptistry. The baptism, the act of being baptized, does not save you. does not make you a son. What makes you a son? Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is what brings you in his family. So when he uses, we've been baptized into Christ, what does he mean? Well, that word baptized, it, what it means is it means immersed. It means immersed, which is dumped, Okay. Dunked, baptized, immersed. I'm glad they went with baptized instead of dunked. We're first Baptist church. We're not first dunked church, okay? But the the image is that you're immersed or you're dunked. When we baptize somebody in the baptistry, what do we do? We take them, they're they're standing upright, and we baptize them, we immerse them, we dunk them down into the water, and then we bring them up, right? That's the idea. The word baptized is the word immersed. It's not the word, come here, Michael, it's not the word, watch, it's not the word sprinkled. (laughs) This is not a baptism. This is a baptism. No, no, we won't do that. (laughs) So when he says you've been baptized into Christ, what he's saying, he's not talking about a religious act. He's talking about an identification. He's saying you've been immersed in Christ. This is the same idea Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That we've been immersed, we've been immersed, we've been identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. The same idea here. What is baptism then, pastor? Baptism is a public display of an inward faith. Baptism is important in that God commanded us, who have believed on His Son, to be baptized and to identify with His Son. It's an immersion. It's a picture of the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ baptism does not wash away your sin baptism does not give you a good standing with God when you go down into the water you come up, you don't come up clean and the water has washed all your sin away no, 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 baptism is a picture of the death burial and resurrection of Jesus we say it this way sometimes here at First Baptist we use water because we should not use dirt because if we baptized you with dirt, we couldn't get you up fast enough no one would want to be baptized then so let's bury this guy. We put six feet of dirt on top of you and then try to pull you up, right? Church membership is in decline, then, right? We're killing our own members. So, water is a picture of the dirt, and you stand upright in the water when you're baptized and you're immersed. You're dumped into the water as a picture of how Christ was put into the ground. But Christ did not stay in the ground. That's why we don't hold you under the water. I was baptizing a man one time, he's holding my wrist, and right before I baptized him down into the water, he looked at me and said, Pastor, make it a good one and hold me down for a little while. (laughs) I said, yes, sir. (laughs) It's being put into the dirt as Christ was. And then what do we say when we raise someone and raise to walk in newness of life? So when you see Paul say, for as many have been baptized into Christ, he's not talking about baptism as a means of salvation. He's talking about baptism as a means of identification. So I'm immersed in Christ. So Christ fills all my heart. Christ fills all my mind. And listen, this is quite honestly why some of us struggle. This is why some of us struggle in our relationship with God. This is why God sometimes feels distant to you and to me because this is how we're dealing with God just dipping our fingers in the water okay God I'll give you Sunday but Monday's my day and Tuesday's my day and Wednesday's my day okay God you get my weekend but don't don't infringe on my Friday night I want to do I want to do life my way I want to call my own shots and I'll give you Sunday but you don't get any other day of the week we're not we're not immersed in Christ we're buried with Christ, baptized into Christ. That's what he says. For as many have been baptized, many you have this new identity with Christ. As many as baptized, immersed in Christ, put on Christ. Look, look at the verse again. Look, look at verse number 27. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. He's saying you've been immersed with Christ. So the first thing you do in the morning is think of Christ. Well, this is what we've said. This is an easy strategy for us that God should get the first day of our week. God should get the first five minutes of our day, and God should get the first 10% of our pay. This is what we say. Why why do these things? Because you have to be saved? No. But because you are saved. You do belong to God. He is your Father. You are His Son. And now immerse yourself in. Identify yourself as. Be proud that you're a Christian. Be immersed in this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the same idea here. You've been given a new identity. That's that's letter A there. It's a new factor, but it's also letter B there. There's a new fellowship. Look at verse number 28. Therefore is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. That's why he is not differentiating between daughters and sons. He's not saying you are no more a servant but a son or a daughter. He's saying you're no more servants but sons. Right? So he's using this verse in particular. He's saying that you have been given a new fellowship with Christ. Listen to the verses. Look at verse 28 again. Listen to the identifiers. Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female, that these are the things that our society says identifies us. These are the things that our society says makes or breaks us. It's your status. It's your success. It's your positioning. It's your heritage. What Paul is saying is in Christ, these things do not separate us, but they do strengthen us. That in Christ, these things don't break us down or tear us apart, but in Christ, these are the things that bring us together. Obviously, there are still Jews and Gentiles. Obviously, there were still slave and free men. Obviously, there are still men and women. God does not intend for us to erase distinctions. Everybody in this room is unique, is different, made different, and we were made different in the image of God. God. Your difference does not make you unequal, though. Aren't you glad that God designed you different than he designed me? Aren't you glad that we don't all look like Pastor Michael this morning? We're all made different. We're all unique. We're we're all individually designed. But just because we are distinct, listen... That does not mean we are unequal. Right? And that's the issue. Our culture says distinction makes us unequal. That there's inequality and difference. There can't be any difference in anybody. No. God says there is a difference, but just because we are different, that does not mean that one is better than the other. God has made you uniquely you. God has made me uniquely me. And you, made in the image of God, shows us something about our God. Me, made in the image of God, teaches us something about God. But that does not mean that I'm better than you or that you are better than me. And in fact, in Christ, no one is better than the other. We are different. A parent is different than their children. I'm different than my children, but I'm not better than my children. A coach is not the same thing as a player, a teacher is not the same thing as a student. You're different, you're distinct, you're individual. And that difference does not separate us. That difference in Christ strengthens us. You, you want to see what Christ can do in uniting people who are different? You want to see it? Look around the room this morning. You're sitting in church with people who, generally speaking, in cultural terms, you do not normally identify with. We tend to identify with people like us. People from the same neighborhoods we are from. People of the same ethnicity that we're from. People of the same wealth or status. that People who work the same kind of job we work at. This is, this is generally the kind of people we, we affiliate with. And yet, in Christ... Look around the room. We're all so different, all so unique. These are not things that separate us. These are things that strengthen us in our relationship with God. What he's saying is that because you have an an identity with Christ, the things that distinguish you, that make you different from people around you, those things are no longer a threat to our security. They're no longer a place where we find our value. The world says, if you want to be valued, you better better be successful. You better be the boss. What Christ says, it doesn't matter if you're the boss or if you're a first-term employee. It doesn't matter. There's no difference with our relationship with God. Now, the boss has a responsibility and the employee has a responsibility. And those are uniquely given by God. But those do not make you more valuable in the eyes of God. Being the boss or being a first-year employee make you more valuable to your company. But it does not make you more valuable to God. Being rich or poor might make you more valuable to the community, but does it doesn't make you more valuable to God? There's no difference with God. That's what he's saying. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're Hispanic or Asian, whether you, like me, are Irish, which is why I'm passionate and a little emotional at times. It's also why I'm short. It doesn't matter. Because you're secure in Christ. That in Christ, God made you exactly how he wanted you. I've told you this before. I used to pray that I would be 6'10". Magic Johnson was my favorite basketball player growing up, and I used to pray at night, God make me 6'10 like Magic Johnson. I missed it by a foot and one inch. And and actually, I'm like retreating. It's like a, a one and a half inch now. The older I get, the smaller I go. I don't know what's happening. But you have security in Christ. The people... And the things that would normally separate us in Christ, they do not separate us. You can be more successful than me. That's great. We both have the same relationship with God. You can be be more wealthy than I am. That's great. We both have the same relationship with God. You, You can be of a certain ethnicity different than me. That's great. We both have the same relationship with God. You can speak 15 languages fluently. Great. We both have the same relationship with God. We were both sinners saved by our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. This is the identity you have in Christ now. The things that made you successful to the world, those aren't the things that make you successful to God. The things that made you valuable to the world, those aren't the things that make you valuable to God. The things that threaten you in the world, why you don't have all these things, status, success, position, wealth, popularity, beauty, uh, uh, friendships, relationships, likability, all these things that the world says, this is what makes you important. This is what you got to have or you're a nobody. The things that break you and make you in the world, they do not break or make your relationship with God. Why? Because you're secure with God through Christ. So if you just lost your job this week, you're still secure with Christ. And if you just got the promotion of a lifetime, you're still secure with Christ. Last one. There's a new inheritance from God. Go go back to chapter 4. The last verse. Verse number seven, the very last phrase. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is why the southern preacher said it's gooder and gooder. What does it mean then to be an heir? Here's what it means. It means to inherit everything that God possesses. If a son, then an heir. Here's what that teaches us. That God did not adopt you into into his family just because he felt bad for you. God adopted you into his family because he had something he wants to give you. God did not adopt you into his family just because he felt sorry for you. God adopted you into his family because there is some good thing that he wants to do in you. There is some good thing that he wants to give you. There is some good thing that he wants to do for you. Paul talks about this earlier on in the book of Romans. Go to Romans, just a few pages forward. The book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, look at verse number 16. Romans chapter 8, verse number 16, the same idea. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Same idea. God put his spirit in our hearts. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. You say, well, life's kind of rough. I don't feel like an heir right now. I, I, I feel like I'm just barely making it, Pastor. I'm I, I really am struggling. I'm really going through some difficult stuff right now. I don't, I don't feel like an heir. Well, is what he says in verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Here's what he says. I don't feel like everything's going good. I don't feel like an heir. I'm really struggling. I'm really disappointed. Or I'm really hurting. Or I'm really afraid. What are you saying? That these things have no bearing on me. They have no weight on me. Why? Because my eyes are on eternity. I think about the things I'm going through now, and then I think 10,000 years from now, will this even matter? Will this even matter 10,000 years from now? Which is get your eyes where they need to be. Set your focus not on things on the earth, but set your focus on things which are eternal. Things which are above. That you've been given a new, you've been given an inheritance. Everything God possesses is yours. All the spiritual blessings in Christ are yes and amen. And they do not fade away. Yeah, but I don't have it yet. Yet yeah, that's where we hope. That's where we put our faith, that's where we put our trust, that's where we put our confidence that the inheritance that we have is one that is incorruptible and fadeth not away. I may lose my job, but I will not lose my relationship with God. I might lose my house, but I do not lose my standing with God Almighty. I might lose a friend or a family member or a relationship, but I do not lose my loving Heavenly Father. All the blessings in God are yes and amen through Christ. And God brought you into His family... Not just because He felt sorry for you. God brought you into His family because He has some good thing that He wants to give to you. He has an inheritance that He is giving for you. Man, Jesus says it this way, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself that where I am, there ye may be also. This is the good thing God is doing in us. And Paul says, I've learned to be in want and I've, learned, and I've learned to have plenty. I've learned to live and love the Lord when things were going good and I've learned to live and love the Lord when things are going bad. I've slept in palaces and I've slept in dungeons, but I have an inheritance with the Lord and it's incorruptible and it does not fade away. This is why you could not touch Paul. If you threatened Paul if you said to him I'm gonna take your life away Paul would respond to you to die is gain if you said fine we're gonna let you live Paul would say to live is Christ if you beat him up to get him to stop talking he would tell you that he would not consider the sufferings of this life even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come and if you put him in a dungeon He'd start singing hymns and convert all the guards. So do you have that kind of standing with God? Do do you have that kind of security in God? Are you that sure with your relationship with God? This is what Paul is writing to you and to me, and he's saying, come to where I am. Stand here. You're safe as a son. And put your eyes on things eternal, not on things temporal. Because this world and its lust and its possessions and its desires, this world passeth away. But there is an eternity where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, And where thieves do not break through and steal, no, listen, believer, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because there they're safe. Maybe for you this morning, you're just going through a difficult thing and you just need to be reminded you're secure in your relationship with God. You can take a lot of things away from me in my life and it would hurt and it would be painful, but you cannot take away my relationship with God Almighty. I'm secure through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you know you're that secure, hear me, there's freedom. There's freedom to be who God made you to be, to do what God made you to do, to go after Him, to live for Him. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just close this in prayer. Can we do that? Would you bow your head with me just right there at your seat? And right before I pray... Can I ask you this morning, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with God? If you're here this morning, you say, Dave, if I were to die today, I do not know that heaven would be my home, and I would like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up, let me or one of our pastors see it, we'd like to pray for you. Say, Dave, that's me. If I were to die today, I do not know heaven would be my home, and I would like for you to pray for me. God bless you. Thank you for your courage. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you for your courage. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Who else? Say, Dave, that's me. If I were to die today, I do not know heaven would be my home, and I would like for you to say a prayer for me. There's three or four. How about you, friend? Say, Dave, that's me. God bless you. Who else? There's no one looking at me and a few of our pastors here. we just like to pray for you. Say, Dave, that's me. Thank you. Who else? If you raised your hand, and perhaps maybe you should have, and just, God bless you. I I, want to give everyone an opportunity. Thank you. If you raised your hand, maybe you should have. In just a moment, we're going to have a time to just reflect and respond on what we heard. I'll ask folks around you to stand. Some folks around you might even come and pray here at the stairs. And if they do, and as they do, what I would encourage you to do is if you're here this morning, you do not know that your sins are forgiven and you have a relationship with God, just step out in the aisle way that's closest to you. Our pastors are standing at the end of each row. I'll be standing right are the center if you want to talk to me. And I would love to take the Bible and I would love to show you from the Bible how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven is your home, that your sins are forgiven, that you're secure in your relationship with God. It doesn't matter what a church says. It doesn't matter what a pastor says. What matters is what does God and His words say. You need to know about your eternal future. Maybe you're here this morning, you know your sins are forgiven. You've put in your faith and trust in God, but can I ask you this? Maybe you're going through a, a disappointment. Maybe you're going through a struggle. Maybe you've taken a loss financially or in your family, and you're starting to wonder. You, you, you're really questioning your relationship with God. Maybe for you this morning, you just need to thank the Lord and that in Him, all the blessings of God are yes and amen through Christ. Maybe you just need to re-immerse yourself. You need to just say, Lord, I need to identify with You and I haven't done a good job of that. I, I, I haven't done a good job of identifying myself. I haven't done a good job of spending time with You. I've neglected my prayer reading. I've neglected my Bible reading. I, I, I've, I've neglected my church attendance. I've stopped hanging around with Christian friends. I started hanging around with those who don't do Christian things. Lord, I need to be reminded of this. I need to go after you. I need to pursue you. And I need to seek you first. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. But what I want to do is I want to take one or two more minutes and I want to just reflect and respond. Miss Mimi will play the piano. If you want to pray there at your seat, you can do that. Some people will come and pray at these stairs. You're more than welcome to pray here if you'd like. We have people who would love to pray with you, would love to pray for you. If you want someone to pray with you or for you about something you may be going through. Maybe you'd like to just pray by yourself, that's fine too. But if you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you meet one of us right here at the front? Would you let us take God's Word and show you from God's Word how you can know heaven is your home?